Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Happy Sunday. We are kicking off a brand new series today, everybody. So this has been kind of fun this year. We did Spiritual Foundations in January. We did a relationship series this last February. And now, heading into March, we are doing a new collection of talks called Spirit and Truth. And the whole point, the essence of what we are discussing over the next few weeks is about how the message of Jesus challenges conventional Christianity. And I think this is a really important thing for us to talk about because many of you know I have a very expansive and universal worldview from which I speak. But I don't very often talk about how I arrived here. So there's a huge gap sometimes between what's taught on this stage and where you are in your spiritual journey, especially if you come from a deeply rooted Christian background because you're like, wait a second, I've been around this my whole life, but I never heard somebody talk about it like this. And it kind of seems like you're uh, going against some of the key things that I always thought were true. And there's some Bible verses that come to mind that don't make sense in light of what you teach. And so how did you get here? And quite frankly, I haven't wanted to talk about it. Uh, because I have wanted to just leave that up to y'all to figure out for yourself, because when you start getting into the weeds with this stuff, quite frankly, people get very passionate and and mean about uh, things that they disagree with or are unfamiliar with. Uh, But we're here by popular demand, and so (laughs) I'm just going to give it a shot and, and see where we can go with this. So... I, I'm not sure if many of us are aware of just how radical Jesus was and just how unique his relationship to religion was. Jesus was a reformer. He was not somebody who abided by the status quo. He wasn't known as a traditionalist. Not at all. Actually, the complete opposite is true. Now, granted, Jesus was deeply rooted in his religious tradition. Did y'all know Jesus wasn't a Christian? Okay, I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that because sometimes I'm not sure. Okay, Jesus was a Jewish man. He grew up as a little boy in the temple. He He would actually engage in dialogue with the rabbis who were much older than him, and he would leave them confounded like, whoa, who is this kid with all of this wisdom? Where did this come from? In fact, there are stories about Jesus in his youth, and his parents are looking for him. They don't know where he's at, and he's in his father's house, talking about philosophical and theological matters. 
But Jesus was a unique voice because he was always trying to broaden the horizons of his particular religious tradition. He was always seeking to expand their viewpoint on things. This kind of conversation is deeply personal for me because, as I've mentioned often, I have a very complicated relationship with religion myself. And it's for a lot of reasons. Primarily because even though I value so much of what I inherited in my faith tradition and I see the good in it, I genuinely do, I also see the need for progress and evolution. But progress and evolution is oftentimes met with resistance. And that can be so exhausting to deal with everybody. I don't know if you guys have to deal with this, but me as a pastor leading a church, being in the religious world academically as well as just culturally doing this kind of work, I mean, you're hearing it from all different sources. You're not supposed to be doing this. You're not supposed to be saying that. And so I got so tired after a while of having to prove to the Christians that I'm a Christian. Really. So at some point, several years ago, I just said, you know what? Keep the label. I don't care. That's why when I talk about what my religion is at Hardway, I say love. Technically, yeah, I'm a Christian, okay? And I'll say that when it's appropriate. It depends who I'm talking to. But if that's going to get in the way of a conversation I'm trying to have with somebody, I don't need it. I don't need the label. Even with Hardway, there have been people who have said, oh, that's not a real church. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay. Sure. I don't have to like pretend or, or try and defend something like that at all because the labels don't matter. They're secondary. And the reality is there really is no such thing as Christianity. There are Christianities. Many Christianities. Thousands of denominations and groups. And they don't all agree with each other. In fact, they hate on each other a lot, actually. <laughs> You'd be surprised how much they hate on each other. The problem is we grew up in a certain strand of Christian faith that we were taught was the whole thing. When in reality, your experience of Christianity and faith is really just one tiny slither of the pie. But Christianity is very diverse. There's a wide range of beliefs. So there's actually a lot of wiggle room within the big tent of Christianity to think for yourself and not necessarily abide by what has always been taught as true historically and still be within the fold. Some people don't necessarily see it that way, but that doesn't change the fact that that is the reality of, of the matter. So... This is why, for me, it can be difficult sometimes to uh, continue to wave the Christian flag. To make matters more complicated, there are very powerful uh, institutions, organizations, universities, churches that have a lot of wealth and influence, and their entire existence is predicated on this idea that they have to defend their belief system. We are the purest strand. 
You know, we actually have it right. We interpreted the scriptures the way that they were really meant to be interpreted from the very beginning. And so you have people like myself, pastors, ministry leaders who exist within these ecosystems, but we don't feel like we can actually breathe. We don't feel like we can actually think for ourselves or say the things that we need to say if we're questioning certain things or starting to look at things differently or be influenced by other streams of thought because our livelihood is connected to this. Let me tell you something. A lot of churches that go in the direction of Heartway die. They die. That's why I consider this a miracle. <laughs> really, it's true. Because there's so, there's so many people, for example, within communities like ours who give a lot of money. But this is the way that I believe. So the pastor up front may not, even though he's changed his mind or she's changed her mind about some things, they don't want to talk about it because if they talk about it, that person who gives all that money is going to leave. And then what happens to the church? So now I'm just going to stay quiet. Now I'm not going to talk about this stuff. And now I feel so conflicted inside because I'm operating in a system that doesn't really accept me and I can't be myself here. You see how constricting and difficult that can be? Hartway has lost funds because of the direction that we've been in. When we started, we were supported by churches and institutions and networks that are very rooted in a particular kind of Christian thinking and believing. As I continue to expand and evolve in my faith, those streams were no longer available to us. Also, not even just money, relationally, and this is where I know a lot of us can relate. Relationally, the, there's such a cost involved in uh, making your spirituality your own, making your faith your own. It comes at a high relational cost, especially if you come from a family background that has always believed a certain way. And now you start stepping outside of that, it's seen as a threat. You lose relationships. And that's so hard to deal with. I made a decision a long time ago that I was going to follow truth wherever it would lead me. Whatever the cost may be, because there's nothing that's worth more to me than having my integrity. To be able to walk in the freedom of that is a gift. And it's a gift that only you can give to yourself. But it comes at a cost. So those are some of the complications that enter into the, this discussion when we talk about religion, Christianity, and thinking for yourself, expanding your mind and horizon, going beyond tradition in some ways. It's very interesting to me. In every other realm of human knowledge, we never consider our knowledge and our concepts to be final or absolute. But for some reason in the realm of religion, we do. And it's odd to me. Imagine if scientists, for example, said, you know what, our job is just to make sure that we protect the truths and the facts that we discovered a hundred years ago and do not deviate from that. No more hypothesizing, no more experimenting, no more curiosity. 
we have to now make sure that all the other scientists that pop up don't go against what we already discovered is true. We got to make sure we exclude them and that we minimize their voices. How silly is that? If science was that way, we wouldn't have the advancements that we now have. We wouldn't have the technology that we now have. We wouldn't have the medicine that we now have. So if our knowledge of the universe is always incomplete and ever-evolving, how much more our knowledge of God, the infinite, that which cannot be comprehended by the human mind? Truth doesn't change, but our understanding of the truth may change and evolve over time. As we mature in love, our thinking should also mature as well. Our faith should also mature as well. The big, big, big problem is that Christianity has an obsession with beliefs, having the right beliefs. My conviction when I look at the life of Jesus is that Christianity is not a system of beliefs. It is a way of life. Big difference. This is why we always talk about moving from the mind to the heart. Because if your faith is just a mind thing, an intellectual thing, it's just going to be about arguing and debating and waste of time. When you move to the heart, it's like, okay, what do you believe? Okay, great. I believe in Santa Claus. Great. Good for you. I don't believe in Santa Claus. What? You don't believe in Santa Claus? Yeah, no. Awesome. Okay. I love you, though. Right, let's talk about the things that matter. How do you treat your neighbor? How are you healing from your trauma in the past? Right? How are you working through the difficulties and challenges that you're being faced with every day? How are your stress levels on a day-to-day -day basis? How do you manage your anxiety? Right? Like, let's, let's get to the deeper-rooted issues. Because you can believe all the right things and be a jerk. <laughs> so what good is that? If beliefs were really that important, why didn't Jesus write anything down? You understand, we don't have any words that Jesus himself wrote. Everything that was written about Jesus came from his students, mind you, many years can you remember the conversation we had yesterday? You don't remember it word for word. It just happened yesterday. But when there's people who write 40, 50, 60 years after the events, we think that everything is exactly the way that it happened, literally, historically. I don't know if I should have went there. I'm just saying, if beliefs were that important, why didn't he leave us with any? If you read through the Gospels, Jesus never gave us a list of things to believe. Jesus talked a lot about how we should live our lives in relationship to God and one another. Different conversation. But he never gave us a list of things to believe about God. There's a difference between faith and belief. Jesus did say, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Your faith will make you whole. So he did say that. Have faith in me as the one who God sent. 
He did say that, but faith is different than belief. Beliefs are statements about God. Faith is trust in God. Big, do you feel the difference? So there's only one faith, but there are many beliefs. But regardless of where you are on that spectrum of beliefs, we can come together united in one faith. It's about your internal disposition, living a life of trust and surrender. Here's another biggie. Jesus never said, worship me. I'm not saying don't worship Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We worship Jesus. But Jesus never said, worship me. Find me the verse. You know what he said a lot? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Because what good is, if, is it if you pay me lip service, but your heart is disconnected? Right? We're getting somewhere today. Another teaching of Jesus. He said, you will know them by their fruit. He never said you will know them by their theology. You will know them by their belief system. You will know them by how correct and accurate their philosophical and theological systems are. No, he did not say that. He said, you will know them by their fruit. What is the fruit that your life is producing? So I test the validity of my beliefs on the basis of the effects they have on my life. If my beliefs are making me more exclusive and less inclusive, that's a problem. If my beliefs are making me less loving instead of more loving, maybe I need to go back and revisit some of my beliefs. But as human beings, Christianity as a religion needs certainty. We need assurance. And so oftentimes, what's, it depends what part of a tradition you're in, right? If you're Catholic, it's, it's actually the church that has the authority. Uh, you know, the Pope, the tradition is actually the, the authority. If you're a Protestant, if you come from an evangelical background, which would be a lot of folks probably hanging out here, You'll always hear this said, the Bible is the unquestionable authority. But when you dig a little deeper, you realize it's actually not the Bible that they believe is the unquestionable authority, but their interpretation of it. Because if I take this same Bible and show you how it really teaches a message of universal love, truth, and inclusion, uh-oh. No, 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 no. The Bible plainly says this. Does it really? So you'll notice it's not the Bible that's actually considered the authority, even though that's what people say. It's their interpretation of it. And we will die on those hills all day long, guarding our interpretations of what we believe to be true. How could there ever be freedom of thought in an environment like this? There isn't. It's conformity, 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 conformity. Boring. Why did I spawn 
in this universe just to join a cult. No, I'm not here to be a part of a cult of conformity. I am here to be uniquely who God created me to be. So that may mean taking some steps in a direction that's different from the crowd. Or maybe it's not. Some people don't have the desire or the, the capacity to even go here in terms of just this kind of exploration, spiritual and religious exploration. We're comfortable in the box, and that's okay. You don't got to go outside of it. I'm just letting you know if you want to, go. That should be something that's encouraged. But if you want to stay in the box because it's safe and it's good, great. Just beware of some of the issues that can happen when you are by the book all the way. It can create some issues. And then another difficult part of this is some of us, because of our background in, in religion and, and church, we actually start feeling guilty about thinking differently than we were taught. I mean, the guilt and the shame that comes, that ate me up for years. Because I was always taught, you start going down that road, in seminary they would say, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> and they were right. I slipped and I fell all the way. But they didn't tell you what's there at the bottom is freedom. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, it's a slippery slope, that's for sure. I remember feeling so guilty. Oh my God, I can't believe like I'm, uh, I disagree with the Bible. Oh my God, I'm going to hell, dude. What's going on? Do I even believe in hell? What is this? <laughs> you know? It was like, it was so much stuff and you feel so guilty about it. So my goal, what I want to show you today is that Jesus off offers us an alternative way of relating to religion uh, beyond the rigidness and narrowness that many of us may have been exposed to uh, most of our lives. And this isn't just a message for Christians dealing with Christianity and church. I actually believe this message from Jesus can do good for every religion, because it's not just Christianity that has these problems. There are extremes that exist in Islam, in Judaism, in Hinduism, in Buddhism, and in all the rest of the isms of this world. <laughs> New Age stuff has this same kind of culty things going on. So Jesus' message is a universal message that can actually speak to everybody from all different walks of life and religious traditions and help us learn how to better relate to what has been handed down to us. So we're going to dive into some scriptures today. And first, before we get into it, though, I also want to remind you all that when Jesus was alive and Jesus was walking this earth, okay, you... Please remember this. Jesus was considered to be a blasphemer. Okay, by who? The religious leaders. Jesus was considered to be a lawbreaker. Okay, so I just want you all to keep that in because we forget this. We forget it. It wasn't just... 
Jesus appeared and everybody loved him. And oh my God, your teachings are so wonderful. And yeah, we love all this love stuff. Jesus, give us more. No, 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 no. So if Jesus was so misunderstood in his day, what makes you think he's not being misunderstood now? You think all of a sudden humanity just got it? Oh, yeah, we just all of a sudden, yeah, now we understand. No, yeah, sure. Let me tell you, I think the whole project of Christianity has been a project in missing the point in a lot of ways. Really. But there's always, you know, the scriptures talk about it. There's always like a remnant. You know, there's always a remnant. There's always, there's always a, a few faithful. Jesus said the road is very narrow. That leads to life. It's very narrow. Not everybody gets it. But Jesus was misunderstood. He was considered a blasphemer. He was considered a lawbreaker. And with reason, because he did and said some radical things. Big, big example of this. The Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read these scriptures together. This is probably, you know, the most famous teaching that Jesus gave in Matthew 5. I want you to notice this phrase that Jesus uses multiple times. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Okay? You have heard it said. What is he referring to? The scriptures, everybody. The Hebrew scriptures. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I say to you, don't swear an oath at all. You have heard that it was said, and there's a scripture that says this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evil person. And if anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What is going on here? Jesus is saying, yes, I know that's what the Bible said. But God is calling us higher. Oh, nah, that's not allowed, Danny. What are you talking about? It's not me. That's him. That's why I'm quoting Jesus in all this. All right. All right. It ain't me. Don't crucify me now. What he's doing here is so radical, people. He's quoting the Hebrew scriptures and then he's overriding it. Wow. What do we do with this Jesus? Kill him. Kill him. Kill him because this is crazy. Kill him because you're not allowed to do this. Who do you think you are? It's so funny. I, this is unrelated to anything, but I met a guy this week. I met a guy this week. His name is Jesus, and he was born on December 25th. Isn't that awesome? I was like, that's great. And he's like, yeah, but I don't really, you know, believe in God. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's funny. God believes in you, obviously. <laughs> So, so Jesus, the real Jesus, not, not Jesus, his real name was Jesus, okay? The real Jesus was accused, he was accused of trying to 
get rid of the Hebrew scriptures. So Jesus' opponents, they said, you are trying to reject, abolish, and get rid of our scriptures and our tradition that are so holy to us. God gave this to us. And God did for a time. Right? So Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 5. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Why would he say that? Because he was being accused of it. So he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. It's not what I'm here to do, everybody. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And the New Testament says, Paul says this, and Jesus also said this, love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay, that's the key that unlocks the whole thing. Love is the fulfillment of the law. The whole point of the scriptures is to lead us into an open-hearted love. And when you walk in love, you don't need the rigid beliefs. You don't need the commands. Because love transcends the rules and beliefs. Love goes beyond that. When you walk in love, you're not harming another individual. So love fulfills the law. And, if love, and love sometimes may call you higher than the law. It may call you to go beyond it in some ways. So Jesus, oftentimes when he was with the religious leaders, he was, he was pretty harsh with them. He said, you clean the outside of the cup but the inside is still dirty. So you look nice with your robes and all your prayers and you're bowing a million times and you're so pure and perfect. Right, nowadays it would be like, oh, I don't cuss or whatever. Yeah, okay, fine, you don't cuss, you know, whatever, you don't do any of these things. How's your heart? Let's, can I peek inside there? What's going on in there? Because I know we know this, but sometimes the people who are the best at following the rules, and they do a pretty dang good job. They are really pure. They're the most judgmental. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh, no. They are so judgmental on the people that don't walk like them and talk like them and look like them and act like them. Meanwhile, Jesus was hanging out with those same people. He was going to the parties with them. Why you think I go to the parties too? I mean, yeah. You'd be surprised how many times I have conversations about God in the club. It comes to me. I got people crying at the bar. I'm like, yo, yo. This guy's a pastor. Yo, yo, chill, bro. Chill, chill. I'm just here to vibe, okay? I'm just chilling, man. Like. What did we get into, man? What did we do? Whose idea was this series, man? I don't know. Oh, my God. Okay. So we got to beware of that, right? You just don't just clean the outside of the cup. It's, a, it's the inside that counts. That was Jesus' whole thing. It's the inside that counts. They used to be so meticulous in those days about uh, purification stuff. 
before you eat, you had to do certain ritual cleansing and washing. And there were some foods that you were allowed to eat, other foods that you weren't allowed to eat. Jesus said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. What comes out of your mouth that defiles you. So he's flipping everything that they know, everything that they grew up with. He's flipping it on its head. And now I want you to read this scripture, which is really interesting. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected. What's this phrase? The more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So what is he saying here? You got the law, you got the Bible, you got the scriptures. Jesus, are you saying that not everything is equally as important as everything else? Could there be some teachings that should hold more weight than others? And if that's the case, should we try to interpret and understand everything else in light of these more important matters? So here at Heartway, all I'm saying is the most important matter is love. So as you read through and you decipher the scriptures and you discern what's right and true and you get all this knowledge, let love be your shining star and guide. Not everything is meant to have equal importance. Love may move you to have to reinterpret some things. Love may call you to move beyond some things altogether. What do you mean, Danny? How am I supposed to move beyond something that, that was written in the scriptures? Let me read to you one scripture, because if we went into this all day, it would be crazy. Psalm 5.5. 5. Look at this scripture. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. And everybody said, Amen. oh, damn. <laughs> Wait, God hates yeah, Danny, God hates the people who do evil. That's you too. All right, so we got problematic passages like this sometimes. So we talk about love, love, love. Well, this scripture says God hates. And there's theologies that are built in the, on this. Entire theologies that are built on scriptures like this. And if we wanted to paint a picture of God that is hateful, vengeful, mean, judgmental, you can use the Bible to do it. But not everything there is of equal importance. There are some scriptures that should be weightier. You understand? Through which we look back at others like these and say, hey, that was David's perspective. It doesn't have to be mine. I mean, this is what Jesus, this is what Jesus did. I know, this was a tough one. But I'm just saying, but there's more where that came from. And the, the Bible is worse than Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's way worse. I mean, you thought the, the, the White Walkers were bad. Mm. God be killing people left and right all over the Bible, boy. Really. But if we understand the scriptures as a progressive revelation... Right? So we speak of Jesus as being fully human and fully divine. The scriptures, my opinion, are the same 
fully human, fully divine. God speaks to us through the scriptures, but he's speaking through human vessels. And human beings only speak from their particular context, from their limited vantage point. And our faith is ever evolving. God continues to reveal the divine self in different ways over time. It's a progression. That's my point, is that this should be an ever-evolving faith. Another example uh, from the book of Matthew. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They didn't like that he healed a man on the Sabbath. One of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, everybody. (laughs) Keep the Sabbath day holy. So we don't do anything on the Sabbath day except rest because God created the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And these religious people made sure you better rest. You better rest. You better not do anything. And Jesus said, oh, this man is suffering. So you're telling me because of your rules, because of your law, I'm supposed to just Walk past this and leave this man? Granted, we don't know how long this dude has been dealing with this shriveled hand. I'm sure he's acclimated and adjusted to life now that he has a shriveled hand. He could have waited. Jesus could have waited till tomorrow. Right? I mean, Jesus, this wasn't like an emergency. Like, I really need it now. It's been like this for 13 years, and I really need it now. Bro, you can wait one more day. (laughs) Jesus could have waited till the next day. He didn't. Why? Because he was really trying to make a point. What's his point? Anytime rules get in the way of love, choose love. Anytime traditions get in the way of compassion, choose compassion. That's why he did this. That's why they wanted to kill him. Look at this quote from Barbara Brown Taylor. She used to be an Episcopal priest. She went through her own evolving, deconstructing, questioning process. And she has written some wonderful books that have been a guide for me. She says, I noticed that whenever people aim to solve their conflicts with one another by turning to the Bible, defending the dried ink marks on the page becomes more vital than defending the neighbor. As a general rule, I would say that human beings never behave more badly toward one another than when they believe they are protecting God. In the words of Aaron Gandhi, grandson of Mohandas, people of the book risk putting the book above people. Oh, how often have we seen this to be the case today? People of the book put the book above people. 
Jesus taught us a different way to relate to the book, to relate to tradition. And he held love as the highest ethic. Love is the whole point. Let this be the grid through which you interpret and understand everything else. One of the other um, criticisms Jesus had of the religious people, you see it here in this verse. He says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You nullify the word of God. The scriptures say that about themselves that the scriptures are alive. It's a living word. It's a living word. But we kill it and make it dead when we say this is the only way to understand it. If the word is living and active and alive, that means there are multiple layers of meaning. You can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And let's even change it from there. There are different meanings for different people based on where you are and the situations you're facing in your life. When I was in school, there was one right way to interpret. This is why I, I still, it's taken me years, it's still, I'm still unlearning all the things that I learned in seminary school. Because it's so hard for me to approach the Bible without this over-intellectualization through which I was taught to read it. You know, if you read with your heart, what it'll speak to you is so powerful, so beautiful. But look at this warning that Paul gives us in the New Testament. He says, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The letter, the literal kills. The spirit gives life. What's the spirit of the text? What's the overall trajectory? Where is it leading us to? We've already answered that. Love. Love. And so love now becomes the filter through which I see, read, understand, interpret everything. This is a different way of operating. It's a different way of engaging. But it's a way that leads to life. So Jesus was teaching all these things, and of course, their biggest question to him was, who are you? Who gave you the authority to do this? Look at this scripture. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news, the chief priest and the teachers of the law, again, the priests and the teachers of the law, the people who knew the book better than everybody else, together with the elders came up to him, and they said, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. Who gave you this authority? Because we have an authority already. It's the tradition. We have an authority already. It's the book. So on whose authority are you coming here and changing stuff? You know what Jesus said? He didn't answer the question. He said nothing. <laughs> he didn't even answer their question. He's like, this is ridiculous. I'm not dealing with it. The same authority, we know where his authority came from, God. The same spirit that was in Christ is in you. The same authority he was given, you have been given to discern, to interpret for yourself, to connect with God without the mediation of anyone or anything. You have direct access to the source. And we don't have to be afraid of where this freedom will lead us if we allow love to be our guide. 
So look at how Jesus puts it here. Great way to end this. Then Jesus added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. That's all we're doing. The old is good. The old is important. The old has a lot to teach us. Some of the old needs to continue to come forward with us. And we dare not leave that behind as if it does not matter. But also, let's not be afraid of bringing out these new gems of truth. As we expand our mind, as we learn from other disciplines. How about this? What if we learn from other religions? Uh, We're not ready for that one. (laughs) They have a lot to teach you. We all have a lot to teach each other. So let's never be afraid to bring out of our storehouse the old gems and the new gems. And as you interact with your faith tradition, your religious history, I implore you not to just throw out the baby with the bathwater because you're mad or you're angry or you're just completely over it. There's something for you there. Right? And also, keep yourself open to the new thing that God is revealing and teaching to you. And then what you'll come to find out is the new thing isn't really that new. It's actually really old too. (laughs) Right? Because we didn't just start talking about love now. At least we know this man was doing it 2,000 years ago. And there are many others too. Children of God who have lost themselves in love. We call them mystics. Yeah? So... I don't know what y'all are going to do with this message or who you're going to send it to. Just don't get me in trouble. I had a, I'll tell you a funny, little funny story. A while ago, I was approached by, let's just, you know, for the sake of the illustration, not to give too many details, a group of religious leaders <laughs> who had some questions they wanted to investigate me about in regards to what my beliefs are about the afterlife. Right? Well, Danny, you have, you know, Buddhist person come up here on stage with you. And, I mean, do you think the Buddhist person is going to go to heaven when they die? You know, and I could answer that in several different ways. I wanted to meet these people where they are. And so I said, I don't know. How am I supposed to know who's going to go where when they die? As far as I know, most of the Christians probably aren't going to get in. Really? Because Jesus is the one who said, you call me Lord, Lord, but I say to you, depart from me. I don't know you. Because you're not living from the heart. So you say it, but you're not really of it. We have this obsession, this obsession. What's going to happen? Who's going to go where when they die? Really? Really? If you can answer that with certainty... I don't know. I don't have nice things to say about that. (laughs) You really don't know. Just be humble. Be humble. Just have faith in God. Love your neighbor. It doesn't have to get more complicated than this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the love of God that has been revealed to us in Christ. 
And Lord, we know that sometimes being faithful to Jesus may mean being unfaithful to the religion that was started in his name. Sometimes being loyal to Christ may mean being disloyal to Christianity insofar as Christianity causes us to act or think or believe in ways that are inconsistent with love. So may we always choose love. May we always choose you. May we put love in front of the rules, love in front of the beliefs. Lead us and guide us in the way of Christ. Grow us closer to you. Help us to make this world a better place. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Week one in the books. We did it. We did it. We did it. We did it. Love you guys. Have a great rest of the week. God bless you. See you next weekend.